Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's your host. Alco Bendez, after putting the Eagles on the board, will kick away to Travell Harris, who's going to bring it out again. And this time he's got a little bit of space and some blocking, and he's gone. Across midfield, and now it's just a race. Is he going to get there? Travell Harris, 100 yards! Michael Preston. It was a pretty fun little moment as a response to Eastern getting their first points on the board. Our thanks to the Pac-12 Networks for that sound to open this week's edition of the Kook Center Hour. One quarter of the way, one quarter post through the college football season. And that is just sad. I am again <laughs> said this last week and like I was anticipating being a quarter of the way through the season this week. And that makes me so very sad I, I, because we all just, I, I, we don't need to, you know, I tell you why, because we all love college football so much and we're already a quarter of the way through uh, the season and it always goes by too fast and I find it getting that way as I get older and I'm getting all philosophical now, let's stop doing that. Vince Grippy of the Spokesman Review and The Athletic going to join us here in a little bit discuss this Washington State football season. We're going to touch on the investigation into Jason Gesser as well and then we, as always we will end with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask... Michael, anything, because this show is just like every other show. Uh, well, I don't know, I might say something wacky and I haven't thought about it yet. Uh, I said last week I was I obviously worried about Eastern. Uh, the Eastern is a very good football team for being an FCS program. Um, and, you know, they've just been consistently good uh, for the better part of a decade now. They've been a very, very good football team. Um, and I was worried about them because not only in 2012 did it it take some doing including us including I think it was what a 61 or 62 yard field goal by Andrew Fernie uh to win that game very narrowly as I watched that on Gamecast from Paris and my wife was not at all annoyed that I was doing that on our honeymoon uh but then two years ago arguably with the better Washington State football team they made pretty easy work of the Cougs and in fact we're up by 10 late in the fourth quarter so that 45-42 score doesn't truly reflect how wide open that game was. So of course I'm you know of course I'm worried going into that game. Eastern was the number five team in the FCS before that week, and that's a force to be reckoned with. I I believe that when you get in the top ten, you're talking top ten FCS teams. You're talking about teams that are probably better than the ten or so, ten to fifteen or so worst FBS teams in a given year. So probably a better team than San Jose State. And as we've been finding out here the last couple of weeks. Uh, that Wyoming win not looking as good as it did at the beginning of the year, considering their struggles so far. They only beat Wolford by three at home, and that is that is not a very good win for the Cowboys. And San Jose State is again you're, you're talking down your bottom five worst FBS teams uh, in football. So it, I was worried, and clearly I had no reason to be because Washington State came out of the gate, and aside from allowing. That lead, from, you know, it was 25 points to dwindle to about 11. Uh, they played a very complete football game. I mean, you know, running the ball, they ran the ball okay. Gardner Minshew clearly not scared to check into a run near the end zone, which is a good thing. That's probably something Washington State needs to do more. Run effectively near the goal line and open that up so you're not just having to pass with that, you know, other defender at the back of the end zone being the, you know, the, the out-of-bounds line. So you're not having to work against that as well. And, I mean, yeah, you can say those some of those points happened late in the game, but Washington State kept their foot on the gas pedal. And I can't, you know, it, it's, it's they are basically scoring, I think we saw in Jeff's article on Monday, they're scoring 17 points 
averaging that in the fourth quarter this year. And that's very important for a Washington State football team that we were worried about possibly being down this year to really close out games well. They closed out that Wyoming game well. They struggled in the third quarter against San Jose State, managed to put up a touchdown in the fourth quarter, and then they really just lit it up in the fourth quarter against Eastern and put that game completely out of reach and had you know that game well in hand by the end by five touchdowns. And I, I, I will be honest, I did not expect them to win that football game by five touchdowns. Because again, I think Eastern's a pretty decent football team and, you know, argued last week that they may at this point be Washington State's most difficult non-conference game they played this year just because of how bad Wyoming looks. Um, that certainly doesn't set them up for the rest of the Pac-12, something we'll talk with Vince about, something I will also talk about. But... Washington State did what we said in the season preview podcast they needed to, needed to do to get to be bowl eligible. They needed to win these three games. I mean, there was just no way around it. Even with this week, as the Pac-12 is looking, they still play in the Pac-12 North, which means they have to play the other five teams in this division every year, and the Pac-12 North is far and away the better division in the Pac-12 this year. Besides having three teams ranked in the top 20 right now, I mean, it, it's just not even close to which the better division is. Because even Cal, who is maybe a little bit over their skis right now, is still an improving football team. Washington State, clearly, I think, a little better than I thought they were going to be. And Oregon State, still not very good, but can jump up and bite you, potentially. You look at the South, and there's just... I mean, God, that's just a disaster zone right now. Herm Edwards could win a division title in his first year down there, thanks to having Todd Graham's players, but that's a idea for another day. Um, but... Washington State looked the part. They looked the part on Saturday, and they did what they should do against an FCS team, which is dismantle them. And when they were only up 11, and that game had a chance of getting a little too hairy, they did not let it happen. They came back out, extended the lead again, and made sure to put that game away. In fact, I think when it got down to 11, they didn't allow Eastern to score another point after that last touchdown that closed the deficit to 11, if I'm remembering that correctly. So I yet to rewatch the game because the Pac-12 Network didn't want to edit it down to the Pac-12 and 60 until Tuesday afternoon for some reason. Um, so we will rewatch that, and I didn't DVR it because I still every week I'm still not remembering to do it because I'm not a very smart person. Um, but I'm I, I want to rewatch that game because at least in the stadium, from my vantage point, what it looked like was Gardner Minshew. That guy is more confident in his arm than I am in anything. Because despite, you know, you're playing against an FCS team that, yes, probably doesn't have the athletes of the Pac-12 opponents you're going to face from here on out for the rest of the season, he's still throwing into windows that, and Vince and I will discuss this as well, that I don't think Luke Falk would have thrown into last year. That Luke Falk would not have had the confidence to throw into. And Gardner Minshew clearly has the confidence in his arm, a la that Connor Halliday comparison we've been making, that, look, I'm going to throw it in there. And if it gets picked one time, that doesn't matter because I'm going to go throw it in there again and I'm going to complete a pass. And and you need a quarterback with that amount of confidence in himself to run this offense so effectively because you need to trust your receivers and you need to trust yourself that you are going to find that space. That you are going to be able... To, to make those throws and, you know, to, to kind of, you know, we what have we said before? To have stones. You got to have stones sometimes to run this offense. And Gardner Minshew seems to have that in spades. He's got the same stones Uncle Rico did when he thought he could win the Idaho State Championship. 
if his coach had just put him in? Probably not. But anyway, he has the same thing. And we saw what a freakish athlete Jihad Woods is. I thought the defensive backs continued to play very, very well against Eastern. A lot of picks thrown by Gabrud, and he didn't really have a whole bunch of people open that day. Completion percentage was like, what, 45% on Saturday? A couple of big plays, but, I mean, really other than that, Eastern never really got into the groove of things. And it helped relax my stress a little bit pretty early on when... Because I, I, I was, I admit, again, I was worried about this football game because I have... Two years ago, that data point, when in theory the Cougs were a better football team than they are right now, and same quarterback for Eastern, good athletes again on that offense, and they had scored a ton of points in their first two games of the season. So yeah, I was worried again, and clearly I had nothing to worry about, which is kind of a nice thing. And (laughs) a nice, easy, comfortable win uh, with a game at 5 o'clock that started then. And homecoming's at 3 o'clock. Boy, what an ideal kickoff time if you want to go to the game then hit the bars afterwards or have plenty of time to watch football after the game. That is just ideal. Perfect kickoff time. Uh, so this game this week becomes big. And I, I, I think, you know, obviously every game from here on out is important. But this this game, this Friday night, feels like an opportunity for Washington State. It feels like an opportunity to go down to get a reeling USC team that JT Daniels has only completed 57% of his throws and he's only thrown one touchdown pass. Also, Cedric Ware is only, he's only run for 167 yards this year. He's averaging 5.2 yards a touch. They're missing Porter Gustin, who has three and a half sacks. That is half of their sack total for the year. They're missing him for the first half. He's also got a quarter of their tackles for a loss so far this year. You still have Cameron Smith, on the USC defense for both halves. But Port Augustine's missing for the first half of this game. Their kicker tore his ACL. Chase McGrath out for the season after tearing his ACL. So this feels like a USC team. And again, they were on the road in Austin. And they got it handed to them. Against a Texas team that I feel like is in just perpetual rebuild mode. But they did not play well. They played horribly against Texas. And I think that, you know, you're talking about they jumped out to a four, you know, 14 points in the first quarter and that was it. They led 14-3 at the end of the first and after that, it was all Texas. And that is surprising. That is very surprising. The minus five rushing yards probably didn't help that much. We will call it 24 because I don't like that we take out sack yardage, or excuse me, one rushing yard because I don't like that we take out sack yardage. Or uh, No, I'm, I'm still doing the math wrong. Either way, I don't like that they take out sack yardage, but this is a USC team that is in trouble. They're in a lot of trouble. And I kind of get the feeling again that Washington State is going to the Coliseum. They're going down there at a time when USC's coach is vulnerable a la 2013 when Lane Kiffin was vulnerable in his job. And you have another chance to get a USC coach fired. Legitimately. And I think it's going to be important on Friday to come out with your hair on fire. Because again, Porter Gustin is going to miss the first half after being suspended. And you need to go out there 
and put some distance between yourself and USC on Friday. And you have a chance to do that. Again, it is a short week. I None of us like the short weeks. But Washington State at least had the benefit of being at home on Saturday. And although you can say there's a benefit to being at home before a Friday night game, which I think you're right, this is the second straight season <clears throat> Excuse me, that these teams have played on a Friday night. And USC is coming off a big loss in Austin that they had to travel to and they had to travel back from. So they had the, the travel slog and trying to get back into it after that and on a short week. If you're Washington State... This is a pretty ideal situation to play USC in. Because even though it's a short week for you, again, you were at least home. You had a relatively easy game against Eastern that you were able to really throw the ball all over the yard and look good, and it became practice at some point. It became a game where you knew you were playing an inferior opponent and you were kind of taking it out on them. And this, again, I... I, Keep making the analogy to the 2013 team because you're going down there around the same time in the year, although that was much early, that was a couple weeks earlier in the season last time. You have a USC coach on the ropes, and you have a team that is playing a bit out over their skis. This is going to be your first Pac 12 game, so inevitably, and it is still the University of Southern California. There are much better athletes on this football team than any of the three Washington State has seen so far this year. And I really think this game is going to tell you a lot about this football team. Do they have the talent to compete in the Pac-12 North this year? Probably not. But do they have the talent to get to six, seven, eight wins in what we can I considered an off year for them? A year where they were going to be down because of all the talent they lost and that they would need time to rebuild a bit. You know, not a complete teardown. But certainly we're remodeling the kitchen and touching up the bathroom, so to speak. Okay, You're going to find out a lot about this football team on Friday, I think. Do they have the mental fortitude to go out there and just stuff it straight down SC's throat and take advantage of them early when they know they're at their weakest? And do these defensive backs continue to play well? Do the linebackers continue to play well? Can the defensive line improve? And can the offensive line continue to improve? And does Gardner Minshew play under arguably the brightest spotlight he's ever been under on Friday night and just thrive under it? Because I think he's got the kind of personality that he can. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens on Friday night. I really don't know what is going to happen on Friday night. We'll discuss it with Vince here coming up next, and obviously we'll give a prediction at the end of the show. But this is going to be an interesting football game. It's going to be a very interesting football game for all those reasons I mentioned, and we will get into it more with Vince coming up next on the Coop Center Hour. Here on the Coog Center Hour, we are now joined by the man who taught me everything I know about covering a football team, and you can take that as a compliment 
or not, I take it as a compliment, but uh, Vince Grippy of the Spokesman Review, did you also, because I know you've written a little bit for The Athletic, did you also have to do a I'm leaving for The Athletic and here's why Twitter plus the 50% off a subscription thing or whatever, or did you, were you absolved of that? No, nah. <laughs> that's pretty funny because, no, I didn't have to do that. Um, I am just – it's a pretty hard thing to explain right now. I'm just kind of just doing some freelance work for the athletic Mm -hmm. and, uh, the more Cougar fans enjoy it, the more they buy subscriptions or prescriptions or whatever you call it. (laughs) I don't know. Um, the, the more chance there is, I will write more. Uh, it's a company that's trying to make money, which is really, really odd. Yeah. I don't, what? I don't get that. Was it making money? I don't understand where that, I don't get that. So, so there's, I, I didn't get to do that, or yeah. have to do that, or whatever, because, I, boy, that probably would be the toughest bit of writing ever. Why yeah. do I do this? They pay. <laughs> Why do you want this job? Well, I enjoy having food on my table. That's really my favorite part of life, is being able to pay my bills and <laughs> eat. Uh, so there's the message. If anybody wants more stuff from Vince Grippy at The Athletic, it's that simple. Go give him your credit card number. I know it's not very expensive every month, so go and do that. Um, Vince, I want to start out here uh, 3-0 through the first quarter of the season. Uh, that's about what I thought they needed to do to have a chance to be bowl eligible this year because the Pac-12 is down, but it's still pretty decent. And nine-game slog through what you know I, I would argue is the harder division of the conference. You know, so five-year games are going to be against the North. I think the better division in the conference. Uh, but they've set themselves up really nicely to go to the postseason, haven't they? Yeah, you know, and, and, and Michael, I don't know if it's the what as much as the how yeah. that the first quarter of the season has been so important for them. I mean, they could have been 3-0 and and, and you know, held off Eastern and, and maybe rallied against Wyoming and, and looked, uh, looked Oregon-like against San Jose State. And you might think, oh, well, they're 3-0, and but that's been a good year. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the schedule turned out to not be as tough as, as we thought it was in yeah. the sense that I think Eastern is every bit of what they thought what we thought. But the other two teams are, are you know, San Jose State is probably the dregs of the Mountain West. And Wyoming is not as good as uh, probably people expected. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, so that's, that's crucial. But you're right. The North is so much better than the South. It's not even – I don't even think it's close. Yeah. Uh, watching – Arizona State play the other night, watching Arizona play. Uh, they all have talent. UCLA's awful right now. Yeah. Um, Colorado, I think, is a little overrated. Utah has no offense. Um, gee, it, it's it's pretty simple. SC is is not been SC. So, I mean, I think I named everybody tonight. Yeah, no, I think I'm pretty sure that's everybody. <laughs> no, yeah, Colorado, Utah, the Arizonas, and SC and UCLA. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, they're just all kind of down in the dumps right now. Yeah, the, I, I don't think the top is as good as the north, and mm-hmm. I don't think the middle is as good. Now, the mm-hmm. bottom, uh, Oregon State, is probably not as good as anybody. Uh, I mean, I think UCLA is probably better than Oregon State is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So, um, so maybe the bottom uh, is worse than the north, but but that's it. The middle's better, and the top is certainly better. Stanford and Washington, which look to be the top of the conference right now, mm-hmm. are significantly better than the south. Yeah, I want to talk to you about another thing, Vince. It's kind of surprised me, and I, you know, I we knew Gardner Minshew the second. I suppose I should throw that in there when talking about yeah. him. Uh, worked with Hal Mummy over the summer when he was, you know, when he decided he was going to transfer to Washington State from East Carolina. 
And I think we all kind of watched some tape of him at East Carolina and went, man, he just was not very good. We knew that the Pirates were not very good last year. I think they finished something like 2-10. and 10. They were really a pretty horrible football team. So my expectations were a little higher of him uh, at Washington State. And outside of a couple of really stupid interceptions, I thought, against San Jose State, and one that was kind of questionable against Wyoming, he's been pretty much better than advertised so far, wouldn't you say? You know, it's really interesting. He uh, When he announced he was coming to uh, Washington State, uh, we, we had him on the radio show that, here in Spokane that I fill in on occasionally, mm-hmm. and, and I was so impressed with him, just as his poise, his, his uh, ability to communicate. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was really shocked, and I thought, boy, this guy has his act together. And he was honest. Uh, straightforward, and he under, you could tell he understood um, uh, the air raid, mainly because, you know, the air raid has really filtered itself down in a lot of places into the high school ranks. Right. He had run it there, and that's why he wanted to continue to run it one more time in, in, in college. He talked about East Carolina's offense being a one-read offense. I mean, you dropped back and threw it, and that was it. You you read it early, and then you just made a quick throw. Yeah. And and he wanted an offense where he had options, and uh, Mike Leach's offense offered him that. And and he said, talking to Hal Mummy, he learned so much more. And I thought, if it's about personality, if it's about mental pre- preparedness, this mm-hmm. kid's going to be really good. Because I didn't know what kind of arm he had or whatever. So yeah. uh, I, I am not surprised that he's been so successful uh, mentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically it was you know it was all new to like to me like it probably was to everybody yeah I, I've, I've kind of compared him a little bit you know in the regard of you know I you talk about that I, I watching him on Saturday against Eastern I thought you know he obviously had a relatively easy time carving up their defense but there were still some tight windows he was fitting that ball into and he was still making some throws that I thought last year Luke Falk probably wouldn't have dared even attempted to make he reminds me a little bit of Connor Halliday in 2014 in the regard of I'm going to go out there and throw the football and be damned if you're going to stop me from fitting it in there. And even if it gets picked, I'm going to do it again. He has that confidence that is kind of necessary in this offense. Do you kind of see the same thing in him a little bit? Yeah, I, I really do. I think that he does two things really well that that Mike Leach, I think, wishes Luke had done better. Now, mm-hmm. we're talking about the all-time uh, passing leader in right. the history of the Pac-12 right. conference. But, so we're nitpicking here a little bit. But his reads are quicker. It's obvious. He, he, he zips through his reads. It's boom, boom, boom. And he's willing to find the fifth guy out in the flat and just throw it to him and move on to the next play. Yeah, that's the that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing is he trusts his receivers. It seems like consistently, especially Tay Martin. Yeah, if he sees one on one, and as you know in the air raid, it, you know it, it, the idea is to get guys one on one, and if he sees it, he's going to give him an opportunity. Now that's going to burn you, I think, occasionally. Right, but it, but. It, but they're also going to make plays. And and that's one thing Mike Leach really likes. Now, the Connor Halliday um, uh, comparison is really good except for one thing. Hmm. Uh, Connor Halliday moved about as well, and he's going to hear this and he's going to yell at me, but he moved about as well as, as my son's car with its two flat tires. <laughs> 
Okay, well, I'm, uh, no, you're right. You're not right. I, yeah, you're not right. He, he's not going to call me. He doesn't have my phone number. He's only got yours. So, no, you're right. That's about right. That. And, and Connor just, I mean, he. this is an interesting aspect of, of the offense right now because when Mike Leach got here, he had Jeff Toole and he had Connor Halliday. Mm-hmm. And, and he did not want Jeff Toole running. And it was pretty obvious why, even though Toole could run and run well, mm-hmm. is because he, did, he didn't want them thinking about that he wanted them learning his offense right uh, seven years later he's got a guy that's probably about as i mean there's a comparison i think between the feet between him and tool and he's more than willing to let him run because i think he trusts him I yeah i think he under, i think he believes that gardner Minshew knows the offense well even though it's his first year in the program and he trusts him to make his reads before he takes off do you think he still had that trust? I would t- touch on one thing briefly. You know, we talked about how confident he is in his legs, and that's probably a good thing, uh, you know, for an air raid quarterback to have, you know, that at least he knows it's his last option, that if he really needs it, he can run. Do you think Mike Leach was that happy that he pulled the ball on that uh, first and goal with about five seconds left in the first half against San Jose State and ran the ball in? Or did we, you know, one of those, hey, that was great. Maybe don't ever do that again, please. It all depends on whether you think Mike Leach is a process guy or a results guy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. a lot of coaches that, you know, I tell you not to do that, but if you do it successful, I'm not going to complain to you. And yeah. there's other coaches that say, I don't care if you, you're successful or not, do it my way or you're gone. Yeah. I think I think Mike Leach is a, is a results guy. Yeah. He gives the keys to that offense to the quarterback. He says, here's the formation, here's what, I'm, what I want you to do, but you're out there, I'm not, you decide what to do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, that's right. You mentioned him a second ago, too, and I want to talk a little bit about Tay Martin because I've been, you know, last year I think we saw some flashes of that he could be pretty special, and this year it has just been, I, I, I've, I've been blown away by the athleticism, by his skill, by pretty much everything he brings to the table. I, I, I have to imagine it was probably, you know, difficult to see coming last year with him in somewhat limited action for him, but how, how impressed have you been by him so far, just through three games this year? I've been impressed by the entire receiving core, uh, him especially, Yeah, and I'm, all, I'm also wary because mm-hmm. it's Wyoming, San Jose State, and Eastern, and, 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 and I love the Eagles. They're a great FCS school, but they are an FCS school. Yes. The next two opponents are USC and Utah, Yeah, and those are pack, not just Pac-12 level defensive backs in a lot of cases those are nfl level defensive backs mm-hmm. um i'm really going to look forward to seeing what's going to happen over the next two weeks at the end of at the end of five games i think we'll know a heck of a lot about mm-hmm. what washington state has for the last seven games of the season uh, especially in the passing game because you throw it up one-on-one against a lot of guys that they've played so far and tay martin's going to go get it you throw it up against some guys that they're going to play the next two weeks, and it's 50-50 whether he's going to get it, yeah. maybe less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the defense a little bit here before we move on to USC because I think, I've you know, Jeff talked about this on the website a little bit earlier this week, and we've had a couple other authors talk about it as well, uh, including P.J. Kendall. But Jihad Woods isn't showing up on the stat sheet, but I've, you know, even watching him last year, we were impressed. But that interception he had last week – might have been one of the most freakishly athletic plays I've ever seen. And even though he's not showing up on the stat sheet, he's clearly making a pretty big impact on this defense so far this year, isn't he? 
Yeah, you know, and that's that's what's so good about what they do recruiting-wise. I think that that switched over with Alex Grinch, and I think mm-hmm. it's really showing dividends now, is they are going to sacrifice certain physical elements for speed. And he has speed and athleticism. But if you look at him, he's not really the size a lot of guys want, and his arm length is not even close yeah. to what the, the – uh, the uh, big schools, quote unquote, big schools in the country want. And yet he still was able to make a play that many guys that looked the part never would have done. Yeah. And, and, and boy, they got a lot of guys like that. I, I'm watching kind oh, of comfort play, uh, play inside in the middle in, in defense and, and look at it, look at the length of his arms and think, wow. I mean, he is, he just, there's, there's no length there. Yeah. But he gets the job done with a motor. Yeah. I mean, it, that's what it is. It's just he's going to outwork the guy in front of him for four quarters. And, you know, there's going to be certain times over the course, of even the next couple of weeks, where he's going to get overpowered. A guy like that's just going to get overpowered, but he's not going to back down. And he's not going to quit working. Yep. And that's and that's what this that's where their success has come from on the defensive ends. Defensive end. Uh, a, a guy like Woods might get beat. Uh, and be in the wrong spot, but he's going to keep he's going to keep digging it and get up there mm-hmm. and try to get a hand on the ball and get a hold of it. And Taylor Comfort might get overrun occasionally, but he's still going to be grabbing and working his tail off from underneath that pile where he's maybe lying on the ground every once in a while. I want to talk a little bit about the USC Trojans here this week. Friday night in the Coliseum, uh, the Cougs were able to be in the comfort of their own home Saturday night after beating Eastern. The Trojans decidedly were not, and they quite frankly, got molly whooped uh, by the Texas Longhorns, a Texas Longhorns team that it seems to be in the 19th year of their rebuild after Mac Brown left. But still, uh, not a great start to the season so far for the Trojans. And Friday night, short week, uh, Port Augustine suspended for the first half. This seems like an opportunity for me. D- uh, does it seem the same way f- for you? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think it does. Uh, <sighs> I, I it's still yeah, it's it's still USC. You haven't seen. Yeah, it's still USC. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and they're angry, and I believe in the first few games of the season, I believe that that uh, Clay Helton has done what he's had to do, which is keep his freshman quarterback and his family happy. Yeah, I mean, you see, you're seeing what's happening right now at, over on the other side of town, UCLA. The dad of the freshman quarterback is screaming and yelling because his son's being used incorrectly. Blah blah blah. <laughs> um, they've been throwing the ball way too much. USC has, yeah, uh, mainly because I believe that a part of the game now is making sure uh, that your quarterback that you've picked over two other guys that were also highly recruited guys is comfortable and happy in your in your situation, so he sticks around for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see that happening Saturday night, uh, Friday night. Pardon me. I'm guessing that that USC comes out. And the first possession they have the ball, they try to jam it down Washington State's throat for kind of the first two or three possessions. I mean, I think they'd be smart too. Yeah, yeah. Because the size advantage is is going to certainly be uh, in USC's favor. But uh, then again, you never know. I mean, that's what people want. That's what the USC faithful want them to do. So Clay Helton may just say. Up yours, guys. I'm gonna do it my way and throw twenty. Have have T. Martin and the offense throw twenty two consecutive passes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I get I get the sense that, and it just it kind of seems like 
you know, this is this is almost the second of three USC coaches that it seems like when Washington State is in LA to play them, the Sharks are already in the water and somebody's around about ready to dump a chum bucket in for it was Lane Kiffin the first time and it seems like it's Clay Helton this time that this is a game that you know it's the fourth game of the season but this almost seems like a must win for Clay Helton because you know USC fans can think whatever they want to about Washington State being an also ran in the conference so that's their opinion I you know I'm probably projecting a bit here but that they are not ever very impressed with Washington State and losing to them is never excusable and a loss here probably goes a long way to Lynn Swan deciding to pull the trigger and fire Clay Helton. Do you think that might be the case? I mean, I we, we talked 100% about... percent agree with you. Yeah. Because yeah. the only thing I think in Clay Helton's favor is that they don't have to get on a plane or walk out to a plane on a tarmac and, and worry about <laughs> Lynn Swan with, there with his axe. Get your own ride home. Good Lord, exactly I've forgotten right. all about that. My goodness. Oh, man. Well, that's a, that's a long trip home from LAX too. That's not easy to get off the tarmac. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. not easy. It's, a, it's an expensive Uber. Ride, yes, I'm it sure. is. It's a very expensive Uber ride. Uh, just give me a general thoughts. Maybe a final score for Friday night. I I, I think USC is probably uh, well. I mean, they are the better football team. I think talent wise, um, as you know. But I think they obviously have a better chance to win. They're favored by a little more than a field goal right now. I I probably see it being a little bit wider than that. But just give me your idea and thoughts on Friday night for final score. Well, final score wise, I think if if there's an under, I don't know what the over under is right now, but I think I might take the under. Yeah. Just because I, like I said, I think I believe it's going to be a physical battle in the trenches, uh, at least when USC has the ball, and I, and so there's not going to be as many plays run for mm-hmm. uh, for either team, and then, uh, uh, boy. Over if, under. I had to, if I had to put my house on it, I think I'd put my house on the, fav- the favorite. I'd put yeah. my money on USC. Mm-hmm. But but something inside of me, and I'm not a I'm not a cougar honk. I mean, I just I just feel like maybe this is the, this is kind of something magical that they get this guy walking in off the street that looks like Uncle Rico, and he's <laughs> you know, and he's throwing the ball over the the Rockies. And, yep. and would it be weird if this was like that the 10-7 season that, yeah. that, that Leach has here, it, you know, it would just be amazing to me, yeah. but I, it might happen. You know, people keep asking me, what is what should, we need to think of a better nickname for Gardner Minshew, and I go, why am I trying to think of a better one when he looks exactly like the actor who played Uncle Rico, and he behaves on the football field exactly like the character Uncle Rico would behave on the football Why do I need to... Why do I need to polish perfection? What is wrong with Uncle Rico? And I, I just, it, it baffles my mind that people and some some folks are insisting on a better nickname because I, I can't think of anything better for him right now because he it just, it's 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 like a spitting image of yeah. Napoleon Dynamite's uncle. Yeah, and you could always just put, you know, every time he does something really, really cool or special, you could just like, just tweet out Dynamite in all caps. <laughs> or you could just... Throw a prime rib at him riding a bike with a kid on the back. That'd also be good. <laughs> That'd be yes, good that would work. If you want more riding from Vince Grippy at The Athletic, go get a subscription right now. He's at the Spokesman Review, though, every day. Vince, thank you, as usual, for joining us. It's always a treat. Anytime, Michael.
thanks again to Vince Gribby for joining us here on the show. We always, 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 always appreciate him coming on, sharing his perspective. The OG of great reporting uh, on Washington State Athletics. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, Jason Gesser here. And I, I said, I think it was on the second show this year when everything was happening surrounding Ohio State, Urban Meyer, Zach Smith... Uh, that generally when things like sexual harassment claims, domestic assault claims crop up around college programs, um, I borrow a line from Dan Lebitard that generally nothing smart from fans ever comes out of it. And that when these discussions have to cross over into sports, um, it generally gets dumb because you, you have a lot of people who will rush to defend a university, a coach, a player, whatever in the face of allegations that are pretty serious and damning. I read the Evergreen story last week. I thought it was very well reported. Um, They did not make themselves any claims. They reported what was in the Office of Equal Opportunities or Office for Equal Opportunities report. This is a public university the public has a right to know if that record exists and a current any current employee. I don't want to limit that to somebody in the athletic department. If any current employee has a repeated history of doing this. Yes, the problem with the Office for Equal Opportunities report is that it came a lot of it came from some ex-employees. And we don't know how the Evergreen was tipped off to the fact that this report existed. I don't think it really matters. But I thought the reporting was good. The reporting was very solid. And I also think the university invest- university's investigation at the time was also appropriate. They did what they were supposed to do. And from that standpoint, I'm very happy with the school. They did what they were supposed to do. The Office for Equal Opportunity looked into it. This is the information we have. But because no one has filed a formal complaint, this is all we can do with it. And they gave it to Human Resources. These are the results of our investigation. If anybody comes to you, you have this information. From that standpoint, I'm very happy with everything. But this is where we get into where we are now. Because I know some people in 2018 are uncomfortable with allegations of sexual harassment, misconduct, assault being thrown into the ether and the person who's alleged to have perpetrated them being instantly, I, I can't think of a better way to say it, but thrown under the bus or 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 shamed or, or whatever. The problem is, for so long, it was the exact opposite. You had victims of sexual misconduct, harassment, assault, frightened to come forward because they would be shamed about it, told it was your fault, you could have done something about it, or this just didn't happen. And it's an issue in a power structure in any organization where when a person is doing that with a subordinate or someone who they have authority over in some way, it becomes grossly inappropriate. It's inappropriate to do it with anybody, but it becomes even more inappropriate when it happens in that way. And 
I, I want to try to express my feelings on this as clearly as I can because I've been trying to think about it a lot and it's still tough because I prayed during that OSU investigation that nothing like this would ever happen at Washington State. But on Monday, an official complaint was filed and a former volleyball player, what she says happened is, is disgusting. It is damning and it is behavior that is unbecoming of anyone, let alone someone who represents a university, an athletic fund, whatever else. But it, it, is, it is truly disgusting behavior. And it does not, it is not at the level of, you know, I, you know, I hit on a woman at a bar and she said no and I stopped. And I don't like that I've seen that comparison made because this is not even close to that. He leaned in and tried to kiss me. I pulled away. I just said no. He asked why. I said because you're a married man and you have a family. That is what Alyssa Badeau told the Spokesman Review on Monday. After she was at a fundraising event, I believe this was in Tumwater, with Gesser three years ago. Badeau said she allowed Gesser into her apartment. Once inside, he continued to attempt to kiss her and pushed his hands under her dress. Quote, I started to get really scared because he was not listening. I was terrified because I didn't know what to do. The more I kept telling him no and stop, the more he kept telling me how much he liked me. At one point, she said Gesser put his hand around Badeau's head and tried to force a kiss. I couldn't pull away, so I put my hand in front of his mouth to try and stop him. It didn't stop him. He started kissing my hand. I had no idea what was going on. I absolutely felt powerless. I don't care how anyone feels about innocent until proven guilty. Because this is not the court of law. This is not a trial. Jason Gesser has not been charged with a crime. But I am not willing to just say, well, let's hear his side of the story on this. Because if there is even a modicum of truth to that, I do not want him representing this university. I do not want him raising money for this university. I do not want him in any way involved with this university. And the school, at the very least, owes a formal apology to her. I, I, I mean that at the very least. Because that is disgusting behavior. It is abhorrent it is grossly inappropriate. And I, I can't even begin to think of a way you could justify that away in your mind. The Office of Equal Oppor for Equal Opportunity will investigate it. But Alyssa said she came forward after she read the Evergreen story over the weekend. And as is the case, many times in these situations... This is going to get worse before it gets better. If it gets better. 
one victim having the bravery to come forward and say, this happened to me three years ago. I felt this way. I only felt brave enough to come forward now after reading this. That does not make her claims any less valid because she was frightened. It does not make her claims any less valid because she waited. It does, simply does not. I I hate, well, why did she wait? You're frightened. Jason Gesser has a lot of power at Washington State University, and it is tough to take that on. It is tough to be brave enough to take anything like that on. When the, when the gate is opened, it's usually flood water that comes out after it. And I can almost certainly guarantee Alyssa Badeau, and I hope I'm saying her last name right, I'm sorry if I'm not, is probably not the last person that will come forward and file a complaint. I pray that she is. Because I would hate to think that anything else like this happened to any other woman. I hope this is the last one. I do not think it is. Because if what is written in the Evergreens report is true, that this was repeated behavior on Jason Gesser's part, and then what Alyssa Badeau told the spokesman is also true, the old saying generally holds pretty close to, again, true. Where there is smoke, there is fire. And I do not want my university involved with anything like this. And if OEO comes back and says, yes, this happened. Or they have a reason to believe it happened. Because you have to, I, I, as far as I know, this is not the court of law. We do not need beyond a reasonable doubt. We just need more than likely here. Then I am, I am willing to write Jason Gesser so far off and to get him so far away from this university. I'm willing to do that right now. If they come back and say something else, then we have a messier situation. But I am concerned for anyone else this may have happened to. And I want them to feel brave enough to go to the school if this happened to them. Because that, that is the thing. It is, it is bravery on her part to do that. Because as I talked about earlier, it, it had been the case for so, so long that women could not be because of the power structure involved. It was frightening and often came with consequences for them. But I will tell you one thing. The way I know that people who were defending Jason Gesser vehemently last week, the one way I know this has gotten a lot more serious, I have not heard a peep from them this week. At all. When a woman's willing to give details like that, that go beyond just inappropriate flirting, or inappropriate interactions that were stopped, when it rises to that level, 
You cannot defend it, and I never will. And if Jason Gesser did that, I never want him associated with this university ever again. Dunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything, coming up next. Thunderhead of the week time. And I want to know, when did um when did traffic going westbound over the pass become a thing every single freaking weekend? It's on it is already like four and a half hours if I really generously break the speed limit a little bit to get from Pullman to West Seattle for us on football weekends. Why why am I having so much time added? By nothing? I mean, there's a little construction going on near the pass. East east of the pass. But is that the reason for the random slowdowns around Cleelum and Easton and Ke- was that Ketchelis Lake? Why am I having 40 minutes added to my drive home every single Sunday? Is it because everybody moved here? Is it because everybody goes east of the mountains every weekend and then they come bailing back at the same time on Sunday? Why is there no traffic going over on Friday? Why isn't it nearly as bad that day? I just want to answer. I mean, if it's, if it's really and truly the construction issue, then okay, I get it. Like, there's construction going on. But I, 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 I just, there's literally no reason for it. No reason for the traffic to back up like it does and then get freed up like it does and then slow down like it does again. And I am at a loss. I have no freaking idea why this is happening every weekend. And I, I just, I just, I just, I want a private plane. That's really, <laughs> that is really what I would like is a private aeroplane or just a free seat on one of Alaska's flights over to Pullman every Friday and Sunday. Call me for sponsorship ideas, Alaska Airlines. I love you guys so very much. Even just some free swag. See, look at me. This is just me pitching it out here, being being like one of those gross sales guys. Like, hey, I'll Kook Center Hour, sponsored by Alaska Airlines. Just give me free flights to Pullman. That's probably way more than the sponsorship is worth. <laughs> I'll take just like a free premium seat upgrade wherever I go. I'll do that too. First class upgrade. We're going to Vegas in October. I'll take that. That'll work for me, too. Get in touch, Alaska. You got my number, I think. I have a Miles plan. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael 
anything. At NickBeatty72, where are the drinking fountains in Martin Stadium? Uh, where are the drinking fountains in Martin? I have no idea. I've never filled my water bottle up in Martin Stadium. Why well, don't I? I really don't know that. Oh my goodness, I don't know. At Stephen W underscore 15, I probably should know. Will Clay Helton still be the coach at SC next Monday after we embarrass them at home? Uh... Probably. Uh, I think it might be the last straw before that that breaks the camel's back, but they do play Arizona the next week in Tucson. That will probably be the one uh, if Washington State beats them that decides it. At Jimmy the Coog, Jimmy Morgan, what is your favorite NES game? Uh, I was more of an SNES guy. I was born a little late for the NES to be a thing, and my parents didn't really like video game systems until I was like six or so. Uh, but Duck Hunt, I always loved playing that over at my cousin's house. Uh, but Donkey Kong Country was my favorite SNES game. That game friggin' ruled. At Coogs, Zoo Coog, would you rather go to the Rose Bowl and win or win the semifinals of the CFP but lose the national championship? Second one with a bullet. Absolutely. Not even close. At WSU Cougar 08, Rick, Etsy Bravo, thumbs up or thumbs down, asking for a friend. They make a really good drink, Derek, like called the Greyhound or something. We had, I had it last week. It was pretty good. Uh, but it's a good stop for and drink. It's just, it's, it's club, and I'm not much of a club guy, and the drinks are fine. They're reasonably priced. One drink stop. At WSU Brady 27 Brady, what's worse, the Paul Wolf era or the Seahawks offensive line? Uh, the Paul Wolf era. I mean, it's still, it's hard to dig further down in the dirt than that. And, yeah, hard to do that. At Totes, Totes McStow's Pumpkin Stow's Latte, will you join WSU Brady 27 and me in wearing shorts, a white headband, a killer mustache, no shirt, and a WWE belt like Gardner Minshew at the next home game? Literally nothing that could stop me from doing that. Literally nothing that could ever, ever stop me uh, from wanting to do that. I, I, yes. Can I just wear that around, like, generally? Just do that? USC 24, Washington State 17. It's still SC, guys. It's it's still USC. And beating them is not the rule, even though we have beaten them uh, two out of the last three times. Uh... Just generally not the rule. So, seven point win. Things probably pretty low scoring, but fingers crossed. We'll see what happens on Friday night. It might be a very good night at the Kangaroo and Kiwi if they win. So, if you want to see us there, we might be there. You can buy me a Foster's. We'll talk to you next week on the Cooks and Iron.